Coming up this week, off-screen. Bridget Jones has a baby. Sam Neill leads a hunt for the Wilder people. Ron Howard gives us eight days a week of the Beatles. You're invited to meet the clan. There's a whole new project for the Blair Witch. Ryan Bonder introduces us to the brother. Some sour grapes are on the menu. And Brian Cranston is the infiltrator. All those to come and more, off-screen. This is... This is Offscreen. Offscreen. the latest film news and reviews. This is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. Welcome to Offscreen, I'm Van Connor. I am Case Allen. And films, 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 where to begin? You know where we should start, of course. Uh, we need to at start... At the beginning. At the beginning, always a good place, but our beginning is to say, I'm sorry, Case, you were right. You you called something. So this is how it feels. Uh, this is how it feels. When dubs and... <laughs> <laughs> So, of course, last week you made an innocuous offhand comment <laughs> about a piece of film casting, which then, within a matter of days, became real. Yeah, this is the second time this has happened within, you, like, six months. called Miss Marvel, didn't Captain Marvel. You I called, called Captain, Captain Marvel, Marvel to be Brie Larson. Yeah. And yeah. now you've now you've predicted, come on. Yeah, uh, Joe Manganiello is officially Deathstroke. He is. He's going to be Deathstroke yeah. in The Batman or whatever the Batman solo movie is going to be. Batfleck. Batfleck the... begins. Batfleck begins. begins. Yeah, Batfleck, Batfleck begins. begins. Yeah. So I'm going to start betting. on. You, you should. Yeah. You should. So, you know, if, if anyone wants to, you know, have a, well, even with a chance of winning some, some, some decent dosh for who's going to be the next Bond, follow Case around and he'll give you some ideas. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, of course, the, the, the news we should probably start with this week is uh, Chloe Moretz quit acting. Oh, did she? She I, did. I didn't actually hear about this at all. No, I thought no, you. Were, I, is, I, thought, I thought you were going to the Alan Frank thing, which is when did she start? But uh, <laughs> hi <laughs> Every time with him. Yeah. Um, no, she apparently. This is yesterday. She dropped all of her projects. She's done. She's done. She's dropped them all. She's, she's, she has achieved acting. She has she's achieved. Well, she, she her exact words were, "I I want to go and reconnect with the reason I I wasn't I became an actor." To which you're like, "When you about five? <laughs> I think she wants to reconnect with her inner five-year-old. Did you know that she's got something like 57 IMDb credits to her name? She's yeah, 19! Like yeah, she started really, really young. She did. Yeah. But, uh, you know what? So what, what's she going to do? What she said? I, I, I don't know. She's going to like go to uni or something? She's got, or? she's got two TV projects she's producing. That's, that's something she's doing. She's still doing those. But, How can you be nineteen year old to be a producer? I, I just, don't know. Ask the Olsons. I've, ask the Olsons. Ask the Olsons. They know. They yeah. know. I've still got like an image of a big Hollywood exec producer type in my head, with, like a big fat cigar, like a sixty year old man. <laughs> Come on, make it. I'll show I shouldn't, you the I shouldn't have that, that vision in my head. Yeah, exactly. I'm gonna make you huge, kid. You're gonna be huge. <laughs> <laughs> Straight to the moon. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, uh, the upside to that, of course, is we don't have to sit through Clomerettes as the Little Mermaid in a non Disneyfied Little Mermaid. True, but also means that we're going to sit through the Disneyfied <laughs> Little Mermaid I'm, whenever that's going I'm to come out. I'm happy for the Disney version. It's got I'm happy for that. It's going to have my boy, yeah. yeah and, 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 you know, if there's a God in Heaven, it'd be Ariel Winter. But, uh, you know. Do you reckon? Still, I, I, I'm hoping Ariel Just because she's already. Ariel. Imagine that. Ariel as Ariel. It'd be awesome. You've got to say it like the crowd. You've got to say Ariel. 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 But uh, I, I'm, I'm just putting it out there, by the way. Yes. Bill Hader for Sebastian the Crab. Just, uh, just imagine. Just imagine for a second. Fair enough. Okay. I'm saying Titus from uh, The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Really? That's that could work. Yeah. Oh, wow. Mm. That would be amazing, wouldn't it? That's, that's my casting for the week, kids. <laughs> Put your money on now. What's his name? Is it Titus Burgess or something? Uh, Titus Burgess, he plays Burgess. a Titus Andromedon. Yes. <laughs> but, AKA, the only reason anybody watches The Unbreakable He's Kimmy so Schmidt. so good. 
so years. good. But also Tina Fey, also amazing in that yeah, series. Course, anyway, yeah. let's move on then to uh, the first review of the week. We're gonna yeah, jumbling well, up the order what, a little what bit. What do we have? We're going to go with Bridget. Bridget's, Bridget, baby. Bridget's back. She's back. She's back. She's abusing grammar yet again with her ridiculous titles. And it's Jones apostrophe S. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Be Jones apostrophe nothing let's more. Just, let's just take one of those S's away. Yeah, there's too yeah. much S's. <laughs> That's it. But, okay, so Bridget Jones' Baby, yeah. um, which is set ten years on from the events of Bridget Jones's Diary, which creates, if, if you think about it for a second, it I creates... I thought it was made 15 years ago. Yes, right. made 15 years ago. It's only 10 years in the continuity, so this should be set in 2011, but it isn't, and it creates all sort of weird little conundrums, because half the humour works, and half of it doesn't, if you if you think about it for even a second. Don't matter, frothy rom-com. Frothy rom-com. Yeah. Okay, so um, she's turning 43, uh, Daniel Cleaver's recently died, and she's... Hugh Grant. Hugh, Hugh Grant. Grant. He's gone. Sorry, Hugh, yeah. Grant's, Hugh Grant's dead, he's in a box, the movie literally opens with his funeral, she's turned 40, her fu- his funeral is on her birthday, her 30th, 43rd birthday. He was always trying to just get involved. Way, wasn't he it? really was. He life. really was. And anyway, over the course of a week, Bridget meets and hooks up with a young American billionaire played by Patrick Dempsey, as you do, M- McDreamy, at at a festival, yeah. and then concurrently hooks up with her ex boy, her ex love of her life, Mark Darcy, played by Colin Firth, at uh, at a, uh, a, a a christening. Sorry. Yeah. Right. Okay. Right. Soon enough, she's pregnant. And because these two incidents have happened a week apart... They've overlapped. They've overlapped. And it comes down to a fault on Bridget's part where she's been using expired vegan condoms. And this is actually a thing in the film. And, of course, she doesn't quite know who the daddy is and she has to sort of string them both along until she can figure it out because there is a plot mechanism that explains why she can't just have a DNA test, by the way. I, I wondered that going in. Yeah, because that was going to be my question. Yeah it, yeah, it comes down to a massive needle. To be honest, and when you see the needle, it's played for comic effect. Like I'm not putting yeah, that in. Yeah, it's it's huge. Right. No, okay, yeah, um, that's fair enough. So, this is it. so she strings them along, and we come to basically this clip in which she starts having to do things like the ultrasound, but having to do them twice. Oh, so this is Dad, I presume. So glad you could be here. Oh, this is a unique and wonderful moment. Doctor Rawlings, I wonder if you could maybe do me a favor. Mm. So this is Dad, I presume. Pleased to meet you. I'm so glad you could be here. This is a unique and wonderful moment. Before we start, would you like to know the sex? Maybe we should be prepared. Uh, you know, I'm not sure. It's a boy. Oh. A boy. Oh, boy. A boy. Oh, boy. A boy. Oh. oh. <laughs> My boy. So you see that's intercut, then you get Colin First's reaction, you get Patrick yeah. Dempsey's reaction. Right, first of all, there is clearly a version of this that exists with uh, Hugh Grant in place of the uh, the Patrick Dempsey version, and only a complete moron would see otherwise, because it's quite <laughs> obviously the setup. It comes across very bluntly from minute one that Hugh Grant simply took a look at this and said, hell no. And, uh, yeah, so Bridget's back. And where do you stand on Bridget Jones? Do you like Bridget Jones? Were you a fan of the series? Um, I won't say I was a fan, but I thought the first one was okay. It's just, it's a bit of fun. That's it. It's I like the first one. The first yeah. one arrived at this cultural point where you think, okay, kind of great. She is a product, really, of the, Lad- of the sort of the end, the tail end of the Ladette 
sort of era. And anyway, yeah, maybe in like the more sort of upper scale. That's it. But like, yeah. I feel like Bridget Jones was always this sort of attempt to refeminize the ladettes, mm. and and it worked, and it was really successful at the time, creatively and financially. And then you got to Edge of Reason, which was awful and just such an ill-advised sequel. I don't even remember what happened in that. There's a bit uh, where she's on a jet ski. That's about it. I, I, I remember, remember a point where there was a prolonged comedic take on the plot of Broke Down Palace where she was in a prison in Thailand and singing Madonna or something. Uh, I remember that. I've seen um, that film. I don't remember that at all. Like I, I, <laughs> that's, that's how much of a non-event um, <laughs> it seems. I have actually read the books of both. So really? I, I have, believe it or not, I have read a book. Anyway, not, not just Spider-Man ones either. Actual books with words. And, yeah, and, not just pictures. And non-web-slingers. Anyway, um, so I think we all, most people like the first one. Pretty much everybody dislikes the second one. Where, the good, where's this for? The good news is this fits in between the two, but yeah. more towards the creative end of the first one. Uh, this is not a patch on the first one, but it is at least imbued with a certain amount of humour and a certain number of things that do work. And this is the thing, the characters are back, and they are just about as likeable as ever they were. It's got that Am I Right Girls kind of a humour mm. back in full force. It's not raining men, it's raining meh through a large part of it, and all the characters you like and love, they're back for at least yeah. cameos. I could have I would could have is stood Jim to Broadbent have, in it. Jim Broadbent is back. I'll I could have stood to point. have seen more Neil Pearson because I always right, think he's enough. the best thing in these films. <laughs> there is something depressing, by the way, about Neil Pearson, an actor so uh so tied to Drop the Dead Donkey, yeah. having been the young cheeky one in Drop the Dead Donkey, now having See effectively now, become yeah. the George of oh, the yeah, Bridget totally, Jones yeah. era. Um there is there's a lot of stuff in there, though, that quite clearly is the result of first draft thinking. There are ideas that haven't quite been sketched out. So, for instance, you've got the screwball comedy element, you know, the, who, the who's the daddy bit. Mm. They forget at any point to address the fact that Bridget is pregnant. <laughs> Other than the actual physical impracticality of yeah. it, they never at any point address so how it's, Bridget... So it's like bits where she's like in the park, just, just chugging a bottle of wine. No, none of that. None right. of that stuff. There's no, there's, there's, good. <laughs> there's no, for instance, like morning sickness gags or anything like that. Right. There's none of her actually dealing with the day-to-day reality of it. Right, um, okay. There is a moment in the film in which they briefly, briefly acknowledge her relationship status kind of thing. And it suddenly occurs to you that at no point in this film has she separated the line between who she's romantically involved with and who the father is. And it becomes a very murky and questionable sort of an element in the film. There is this entire subplot about millennials taking over the media and running things differently, which, again, seems like it hasn't been properly thought out, and it feels like it's come from, of all things, maybe Baby. Do you remember that movie, Maybe Baby? Uh, Hugh Laurie. That Hugh Laurie yeah. one. It was an adaptation oh, of uh, Ben Elton's Inconceivable. That's going back a while. Yeah, and, I, do, I do remember it. And it starred Matthew McFadden and Tom Hollander as the media types. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and Tom Hollander's amazing in that movie. <laughs> right, I'm going to give us an extra minute just to get through this. Um, let's think, there are elements like that that just haven't been thought through. There was, an, there was a, a very faint plot element with Bridget's mother and her attitude to minorities, which seems to have just been thrown in at the last minute because someone thought at the 11th hour, oh, that's good, we should have stuck that in, let's just do it. Mm. And it doesn't work and it sticks out and the film's full of these weird little moments. Having said that, if you're there because, you know, you're uh, you're Bridget's age, you're 43 and you have basically grown with Bridget, which seems to be the core demographic, if we're honest. Seems to be, it seems to be yeah. the, the, the Ed Sheeran crowd. Let, let, let's call it that, because he does turn up in the film. Yeah, I've heard that. In a film so full of anachronistic jokes, it's unreal. This yeah. is a film which we're told is 2011. They have 
current iPhones, that Russian uh, punk band that I can't name for broadcasting reasons, the the gay activists. Uh, that's right, an element. Yeah. That, that's very briefly an element uh, in the P riot. P riot. P yeah, riot, let's call them that. That's an element in there. Uh, there are jokes about Tinder. There are jokes about Gangnam Style, and you can find yourself thinking, yeah. "Hang on, when was this written, and when was it, was written, it written for?" for? Yeah. Because none of these things line up, and yeah. If you like Bridget and you've grown up with Bridget and you are the sort of you're age relevant to Bridget, then you know what you're going to have a good time, you know, a hell of a lot better time than you did with Edge of Reason. That's a compliment. Yeah, yeah, but aside from that, this ain't going to win anyone over. I I was sort of on the fence with Bridget. I'm still on the fence with Bridget, and 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 that's it really. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Off Screen, the On Screen Radio Show. And we're back. So, uh, we should cover real quickly. Let's talk about... Uh, we've got to plug the podcast edition, because we're not going to fit everything oh, yeah. into the show, as always. Uh, so, go on Acast, SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, Deezer, anything ending in er, uh, really. And and you can find the free <laughs> podcast edition extended, and all the films we can't fit in the show, yeah. which includes what one I got? really love this week. There is a documentary I absolutely adored called Sour Grapes, and it's 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 mm. going to be in the podcast extras. Also, The Clan, that was very good, and The Brother, which was less so. Um, <laughs> but we'll get into that. We have also, if you go on to uh, our site, if you go on to onscreenfilm.com and go into the competition section, we've got a pretty scintillating little promo this week. What Remember we last have? week we reviewed The Blue Room? Yeah, the, the Matthew uh, Ulrich. Uh, Ulrich, yeah. yeah. Um, we got a promotion for that. We're giving away copies of the novel and three months membership to MUBI, the uh, on-demand video oh, service. Oh, I like MUBI. Who, yeah. who are releasing that film. So we're, we're, That makes sense that they're the people releasing it. Exactly, they're, they're releasing it. So we're giving away three month yeah. memberships to, to MUBI. So that's, that's something that's to look forward cool. to. So shall we get the top ten out of the way for the week? Okay. Number ten. Suicide Squad. It's on the way out. Is there Good. anything left to say about it? It's probably the last time we get to talk about it. Waste of time. <laughs> no, it's, yeah, let's kind of let's kind of leave it at that. A waste of some potentially great elements. Uh, there are things that work. Viola yeah. Davis, uh, Margot Robbie, Will Smith—they work. They totally work. They, they I'm work. sure we're going to see spin-offs for I'm, those I'm two sure. characters. Yeah, nothing else in the film works. Um, yeah, there you go. Number nine, the BFG it is still hanging on in there. The BFG. That's me. And I'm a fan. I do. I like it as a Spielberg film. I like it as a Roald Dahl film. It was uh, Roald Dahl Day this week, it wasn't was it? Indeed. Did you, yeah, it was, is it yesterday? I think it was yesterday. Did you read the piece that Sophie Dahl wrote about her grandfather? Yeah, I did, actually. Absolutely beautiful piece of oh, writing. Um, yeah. yeah. The BFG, is, I think, is probably one of the three most beloved uh, Roald Dahl films. And I think a, lot, a large part of that is its depiction in modern media. Um, this film lives up to that hype. This film is doing a service to the fans. It is does live up to its reputation. lives up to the fan base. And I think, to be honest, it's, it's, a, it's a cold person, I think, that doesn't at least warm to it. Number eight. Brotherhood. Uh, zip up the hoodie and get off at the We didn't say a lot about it last week, so let's say even less this week. It wasn't very good. It wasn't very good. There we are. Number seven. Hello, high water. I'm really happy to see this at number seven. Did you see this? I've not seen it, but yeah, I really, really want to see it. I loved it. It is such... It it is this this just, you know, mean, muscular, 70s, roadhouse-type drama. Mm. It's it's the kind of thing Peter Fonda would have done. Yeah. Like, like Peter Fonda would have done this with John Huston acting. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, Dennis Hopper would have been involved in some capacity. It it is that kind of just classic Hollywood film. This is this is from that era of film that you and I adore so much, mm. but we just don't get anymore. We don't, and no. and frankly, that is a damn shame. Number six, Finding Dory, which hey, it's finally going down, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's it's. I don't think it's going to go in there for a while. We'll have another couple of weeks of it, which is oh, a good oh, thing because it, it is great. 
It is great, it's and it deserves to be around forever. <laughs> but, yeah. But, you know... That's, no, it's, it's about rare, kind of like rarefied air of good Pixar sequels. Definitely. Yes. Like, I, mean, it, I mean, it stands with Toy Story 2. It say, does. And, it's, yeah. it's more Toy Story 2 than it is Cars 2. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. And hope that The Incredibles 2 also lives up to that. Yeah, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Although, you know, points to uh, Finding Dory, though, for at least uh, you know having two members of the Modern Family cast to absolutely own the show... Yeah, and I, I would say Finding Hank totally. I, I, would, I would totally. Say oh man, that'd be yeah. so good. I mean, at, le- at least a, at least a Pixar short. I'd see a Finding... prequel. I want to see how he loses he's, a leg. He's fallen asleep whilst in chameleon mode, and no one can find him. Yeah, that that, that for me that's that's a <laughs> great, great Pixar short. And uh, but also I liked the little Idris Elba uh, sea otter, sea otter, sea lion. Yeah, uh, Idris Elba and uh, Dominic West. And Dominic West, yeah. which I started watching The Affair this week in some. Have you started that? Yeah, really oh. good, isn't it? I've, I've not started. That's, that's next on my list. I've just finished watching uh, Transparency. That's uh, up next. Uh, check out The Affair. It's awesome. I will. It's check awesome. out Transparent. Also, good. I, I shall, because yeah. that seems awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <Shall> we... <laughs> Let's talk about films. <laughs> Let's talk about films. Uh, what else have we got then? Um, oh, uh, Fox mm. are uh, doing a biopic, um, which seems to, have sp- <gasps> seems to have spun out of a meme. I, um, I love this. Right. I love I, this news. This is, this is perfectly, t- uh, perfectly leveled as well for our next review. So there was a <sighs> meme, if you remember, of uh, Brian Cranston, and it was the poster yeah. for The Infiltrator, and they had had mocked it out to make him look like a slightly younger Stan, Stan Lee. Lee. And of course, Fox are now making a Stan Lee biopic, but it's not a biopic. It's a 70-set action-adventure. Yeah. just happens to have Stan Lee as its main character. Not the guy, but someone playing Stan Lee. Yeah, I guess it's kind of being pitched a little bit like Stan Lee in The Kingsman, set in the 70s. Kind of like that. that sort of this thing. is not unheard of, though, because, I don't know if you're aware of this, about 12, 13 years ago, there was an animated series called Kid Notorious. Do you remember yes, this? I do. In which Robert Evans, the kid, played himself as an animated super spy. That's pretty cool. Which is also, I think Jean-Claude Van Damme's now doing that in live action on Amazon. So yeah, I've not watched that pilot. Jean Claude Van Johnson, I've watched the one, yeah. But uh, yeah, so it doesn't have a title. It we don't know if Stan Lee's got a cameo in it, but it's happening. So <laughs> make of it what that you will. Good. It's it's one of those kind of like crazy ideas. That it's so crazy, it's probably just going to work. Yeah, you just think you know what? that is so bonkers, it can't yeah. not work. And I can't see anybody better than Brian Cranston to play him. I'm I think Brian Cranston <laughs> would be amazing. And and yes, yeah. and funnily enough, this film is set in the seventies and eighties. This is like his audition tape. This, 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 this is going into the eighties. So the Infiltrator, which is the latest from uh, Brad Furman, uh, this is the story of Robert Mazur, who set himself up as the money man for all the cartels. So when the war on drugs was, was was in full swing, when Reagan decided he was going to basically annihilate the drug trade out of South America, they sent a government agent in undercover to basically become the money man. And he was the money <laughs> man the for guy. everyone. Working with Pablo Escobar himself, working for the Medellin cartel. And of course, as these things tend to do, it all starts to come slowly unraveled mm. as complications arise. So payments get seized in in government, uh, what do they call them? Uh, sweeping government move, uh, sanctions and things mm. like that. And, and of course, his life starts to become a little bit threatened. We have a clip. He wants his money, and it's not going to be over. Hey, no, listen, 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 there's a Senate investigation into well, Noriega. You're not getting money. that went through Panama. Frozen is frozen. Accept it. We need you to fix this for us. How am I going to fix this? You want me to call Senator Kerry? Hey, John, could you drop your investigation that the president is sanctioned? Because my friend Bob's getting really upset. Reagan wants Noriega's ass. Are you listening to me? Hey, hey. You know what Alcaino said? That's not an answer that keeps you alive, my friend. Okay? Hey, what did he say that for? No, wait a second. Hold on. Did he threaten you? No. 
Did he put your neck in the noose? Yeah, and he's squeezing. No, he didn't. Roberto didn't say that. He wouldn't say that. It's Escobar. No, wait a second. Bob, are you in danger from Pablo Escobar if his money doesn't come true? Johnny Legs there for you. I know you're a fan. Who is not a fan of Johnny Legs? Bob Hoskins. Slick, stylish, um, a little bit possibly too to the point for its own good. What you've got here is Donny Brasco meets Scarface is the best way to, to call it, but played a lot cooler and a lot sort of, I think a little bit too calm for its own good. Um, there is an element with having Brian Cranston in there, and of course the one thing that Brian Cranston is known the most for, which is that TV yeah, show. And because you've got him in there, it feels like the film is sort of racing to keep that tone, that it never quite wants to go off the rails as much as it should. Um, there are some great performances. Like Cranston's great in it, it's just, it's not a film that's terribly built on momentum, and you never quite buy into the suspense of the situation at any mm. given time. It all feels a little bit too academic. It doesn't have, for lack of a better term, it doesn't have the fun of Donnie Brasco. Yeah, um, that's something that you can't take away from Donnie Brasco. No, it doesn't yeah. have that fun, but at the same time... It's got it, like a bounce to it. Yeah, at the same yeah. time, though, it doesn't have the sort of sobering anarchy of uh, <laughs> of Scarface. And it is this this sit sort of awkwardly halfway between the pair. It's well shot, it's well stylized. It just isn't really well run i would say it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't get mm. up and go it just feels kind of stagnant for the longest time i mean in the third act it it all comes it, together it and up. it does yeah. pick up and a large part, i feel like a large part of what works in the film comes down to john leguizamo and to a lesser extent benjamin bratz who is this sort of wonderful um, otherworldly godfather type figure but at the same time played in a in a, 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 a an, an engagingly sympathetic way mm. you're never too far removed from the idea that this is a bad guy but you do very much like him as a person even though you kind of know you shouldn't and he has the weirdest beard but he had that in uh, in ride along too oh is it the same one well? he had in ride along it is yeah. it is you are right <laughs> but uh, no i say I liked it. I wasn't blown away by it. I wasn't bored by it, but I wasn't entertained by it. And it was, oh, really? Yeah. I, I was just thinking, you've got all the ingredients here for something truly tremendous. Hmm. What it, else has, uh, has Brad Furman done? Because I recognise the name. Offhand. He, well, he's the one doing the... Uh, he's doing the Labyrinth Labyrinth film. with, yeah, with Johnny, Johnny Depp. Depp. Yeah. Do you know, offhand, I'm not sure otherwise. But I know that one's next. But this is the problem with it. It's not particularly going to satisfy anyone who thinks that Donnie Brasco is as good as I do. Are you trying to look that up on your phone and only just realising that you updated it and don't know where anything is? Yes. Yeah, I'll show you how to use your iPhone. Oh, it's after, freaking me out. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I'll have a look in the break. So what else we got in this week? Oh, we've got to talk about Benicio Del Toro real quick. Yeah, I love this news. Yeah, I he's, all he's in talks for The Predator. Yeah. This is going to be awesome. Benicio versus The Predator? He'll just you claw his face I think it would be off. amazing if they got him to be The Predator. What, The Predator takes his mask off and it's Benicio underneath? Yeah. <laughs> you see that and it's coming. just it's just the guy from traffic. Do you think do you think that they're going to use the whole one ugly dot 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 line? I hope so. But um, Shane Black has said he's gonna he wants it to be like a big summer event movie. The, this is the it. first one was, and I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. He, he wants to reinvent it in the same way that Aliens was. By the way, yes, Aliens said, for its thirtieth yeah. anniversary. Have you seen the reissue? No. There is a new Blu-ray edition of uh, Aliens being put out for for is it, 30th anniversary. Is it stunning? It is stunning. I must have it. I must. It, it must be mine. It, it will be mine. Oh, oh yes. yes. It, it will, will be, be mine. mine. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen. Be my wingman anytime. 
And we're back. So we've we've got a couple of reviews we need to get out of the way, so should we mm-hmm. just launch right back into it with Hunt for the Wilder People? Oh, yeah, I'm really, really excited about that one. Now, by any chance, is your enthusiasm based on uh, what we do in the shadows? Because it was for me. Well, it's based on that. It's based on my love of Sam Neill, and who, it just looks really, really who great. doesn't love Sam Neill? Idiots. Well, Idiots, this, is, uh, so this is uh, Taika Waititi's uh, first effort since what we do in the shadows, and the last stop on the road to Ragnarok. So... Yeah, this is his last one before doing uh, the Thor movie. Yeah, so he's because he's going Thor after this, and yeah. based on this film, you now have a lot of reason to be excited, because I didn't quite see the leap from what we do in the shadows to Thor. Having seen this in I the middle... I kind of got it, to be honest, yeah. It, it's now a little bit more evident what because of sort of caught Marvel's eye. Uh, this this stars Sam Neill, and uh, oh, I'm trying to remember her name. Um, the actress who plays... Right, so this stars uh, Sam Neill and Rima uh, Tiwata, I think her name is, mm. as a, a couple who live out in the bush, out in the bush, and uh, they are kind of isolated. She's the maternal figure who keeps the uh, keeps the house going, and Sam Neill is Heck, or Hector, who's this sort of curmudgeonly mid-60s husband who doesn't really have any interest besides, you know, living off the land and spending time with his dog, etc. And one day, they take in a young boy from social services, who's played by Julian Dennis. Did you see Paper Planes a couple of years ago? Yeah, I did actually. Right, yeah, he's the, he's the, he's the uh, the chubby kid. Yeah, I thought so. The chubby bully kid, and he's he's the star here, and he is a thirteen year old boy, Ricky Baker, and he is just it's like Cartman brought to life is the only way to describe. They've basically <laughs> just done a real life version of Cartman, and uh, at first, all he wants to do is run away. You know, understand? He's a thirteen year old delinquent. All he wants to do is run away. Eventually, he comes to 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 love it. There, he comes to love them as well. Not so much Hector, but his new maternal figure, Auntie, as he. Calls her, he begins to feel real affection for. When she suddenly dies, he is left solely with Hector, and the relationship is very strained. Social services then decide they want to take Ricky back, because alone with Hector is no place for a child, and Ricky responds by running off into the bush, followed and pursued by Hector... and the authorities. And this goes on for months. Here's a clip. Come on, give me some bars so I can communicate with the outside world. Ricky, take a look at this. Oh, Uncle, we're famous! Hector Faulkner, 65, and Richard Baker, 13, have been missing now for six weeks. Faulkner is cork... cork Asian. Well, they got that wrong because you're obviously white. There is a fear for Faulkner's mental health following the recent death of his wife. Police are not ruling out kidnapping. Kidnapping? Park rangers have been alerted for anyone seeing the PSU report back to the nearest police station. Oh, Uncle, you're basically a criminal now. But on the bright side, you're famous. I think I'm crazy. And Asian. It's fun. It's frivolous. It's fancified. It is just gleeful. It is basically exactly what you think. Taika Waititi would put out. And what he's come out with is this very strange... I know there was always that off-kilter Flight of the Concords kind of tone in anything he was going to do. This feels, in a very strange way, given the locale, given the tone of the story, strangely close to a Wes Anderson movie. Yeah, I always kind of thought that the first film I saw was a film called Eagle vs. Shark. Yes. Which I didn't I didn't fully warm to. It was a little I didn't, bit more I didn't at kind all. of polarising, but you could see like the beginnings of good things yeah, there, there were there. origins within that film I know what you mean yeah. um, and now what we've got is something akin to what, what Wes Anderson did with uh, Moonrise Kingdom 
and it feels very comparable. You have got the uh, the, the, the runaways, the runaway yeah. element, the wilderness element, the survivalist element. What you've got here, though, is something far, far more bonkers. And it is bonkers in that lovable way that what we do in The Shadows was. Mm. That off-kilter, black-as-you-like, dark-hearted... Oh, I, I love that film so much. And that's it. What <laughs> we do in The Shadows is a film you can rewatch over and over. This yeah. has the same kind of rewatchability. It is a lot more of a uh, an epic, more of a novelistic story. It is based on a novel by uh, Barry Crumb. Mm. It has all the cameos that you know are going to be in there. <laughs> so, yes, Taika Waititi himself does turn up as a priest at the funeral early on and own the show. Amazing. Until, uh, until Reece Darby turns yeah. up. Yeah. And then Reese Darby <laughs> turns up. Is, am I a bush? Am I a man? Bushman! <laughs> you know? and, and he's fantastic. And he's playing that character that Reese Darby does so well, where he's like a he's crazy homeless Murray. man. He's just playing Murray, essentially. Exactly. Yeah. And you will love it. And the performance from Julian Dennison is terrific. The performance from Sam Neill is exactly as heartfelt as you know Sam Neill can put out. There's a lot going for it. It's sharply written. It's well paced. It's just, just alarmingly just funny. It is yeah. just a good time film. But also, its heart is so firmly in the right place that you you will fall in love with it, and you'll fall in love with these characters, and you want them to be together. And hmm. obviously, it's the two of them in the wilderness. You know that they're going to sort of come to a you know an understanding. They will bond, and it and it unfolds naturally enough that you don't question it. Although, having said that, it's not one of those films where, you know, it's an hour and 40 minutes and 40 minutes in, they're the best of friends. It is a relationship that is earned and a yeah, relationship that is developed. And yeah, yeah, it is It is Arc 101 from the guy that made What We Do in the Shadows. And wow, I'm a huge fan. There are no actual Wilder people in it, unless you count Julian Dennison and Sam Neill. But I assumed as much. Yeah, be they the, are the Wilder the, people. The that's, that's the whole crack. People. But uh, no, I was a very big fan of it. I really, yes. really enjoyed it. Uh, so, uh, have you heard about Mulan, by the way? Yes, there was already a live action Mulan adaptation over at the House of Mouse. Yes. And now Sony are going to be coming up with rival production. Oh, yeah, but Sony know how to make the money, you see, because they're going to make it actually for China. And it's, <laughs> yes, it's going to be Chinese cast, Chinese, Chinese company co funding. Because yeah. let's be honest, that will make. All the money in China, so yes, it will. Yeah, because yeah. that's what Hollywood wants now: Chinese money. And, well, it is. China, well, transfor- they, Transformers Four. They, that is. I mean, tra- yeah. Transformers Four stops halfway through, ends halfway through, to then repeat the entire movie it's in, set China. in China. Yeah, so they can have Chinese Bizarre. product placement yeah. and and yeah, and Chinese stars and yeah. So this is actually a thing now. Although we shouldn't complain this is where we're because headed. if it wasn't for China, we wouldn't have Pacific Rim too. So because it made most of its money in China. With that being said, we also uh, won't be getting a uh, sequel to uh, to Warcraft. To Warcraft, yeah. yeah so. Swings wow. around about. Wow! Thanks, China. You give with one hand, you take away with the other. My God! <laughs> Just like China. <laughs> <laughs> Just like China. So uh, let's talk about uh, Blair Witch then, real quick. Which is the yeah. you can't have missed the marketing on this one because it's everywhere. It is directed by Adam Wingard, who gave us the guest, mm. and this is it was made in secret, really, wasn't it? They, it was. It was under a pseudonym it was going to be called the woods the woods it was marketed as the woods and then at comic-con it was like oh actually it's got Blair Witch. and then they put out some fan screenings and everyone went nuts what you've got is a good old-fashioned reboot call so mm. whether or not the second movie ever happened doesn't matter now this is actually the sequel to the first one the second one could have i'm sure have happened uh, on the sidelines somewhere yeah yeah it's uh it, it's kind of what movie did that recently what movie was it? oh jurassic park did that didn't it 
Yeah, essentially just like a raised one. Yeah, 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 they didn't say that Jurassic Park, Lost World, and Jurassic Park Three didn't happen. They just kind of didn't mention it. This does the yeah, same. Yeah, but you sort of played it from the first one. So what you've got now is a bit of retconning where the Heather character from the first movie had a four-year-old brother. Hmm. The four-year-old brother is now a college-age student, and he and his girlfriend set out on a filming project. They are going to make a movie chronicling his search for what actually happened to his sister. You can vaguely imagine how this is going to go. It is found footage like the original Blair Witch Project was, and of course found footage is no longer the big original kick that it was in 1999. It's now a lot more commonplace. But this is from the director of The Guest, so what could possibly go wrong? Here's a clip. The legend says if you look directly at the witch, you'll die just from the fright of it. And that's why Rustin Parr stood in that corner. They say no one's ever seen her and lived to talk about it. This is all just stories, okay? I've been to these woods before. When I was a kid with about a hundred other people. You were part of those search teams? I remember that. Yeah. So how come I'm okay? Nothing got me then. Maybe it did. You're back, right? Very much, uh, in every sense, a sequel to the first movie, even in terms of quality, although this is slightly better made, I can't deny that. Um, It doesn't have any of the flair you want from Adam Winyard because it's found footage, and it's proof yet again that found footage simply cannot generate good filmmaking. When you take a filmmaker of the calibre of Adam Winyard and you give him found footage and you get the same result as when you give it to the newbies, that kind of tells you that the format really just shouldn't be bothered with. What you've got effectively is a contemporary updating of Blair Witch, as in the same film, but they know what YouTube is, and there's a drone. And, yeah, I mean, it has no it has no real stars to speak of. Uh, the, the sexy hacker chick from uh, the following... Val- Valerie oh, Curry, right. yeah. yeah, she's she's in it, and uh, well, she wasn't the hacker in that one, so it was House of Lies. You, you know, what I mean, the, in the, the Kevin Bacon's, uh, James Purefoy's girl yes. in in the, in the following. She's as big as you get, as close as you get to a big star in this. Um, you don't care about the characters, although they are developed a lot better than they were in the original Blair Witch. I've got to give it that. Um, not particularly suspenseful. It, a lot more happens than did in the original, but at the same time, you still don't particularly care. It is one of those that exists purely to placate this imaginary audience who've been chomping at the bits for a Blair Witch sequel for 20 years. And they had a sequel, and it sucked. And here's a rebootquel, and that sucks as well. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. And we're back and dancing. So uh, we'll finish the top ten, mm. and then and then we'll get on to the one I know you want to talk about. You really want to talk about the Beatles. I can see it in your face. Number five. Hubo and the Two Strings. Oh, did you get to go and see this last weekend? I've not been yet. I've got a couple of free tickets for the showroom, though, so I think that's where they're going to be headed. Because I, th- I know this is one that you really want to see. I do like a liker. So you like a liker. I like a liker. Ah, literally the same word, the same word. Uh, no, really sweet, really, uh, really uh, genuine, a uh, really genuine sort of a tale, very old school, animated, epic adventure. And what's not to love? The cast work, the animation's beautiful, mm. the story will have you absolutely engrossed. It really, really flies. Number four. Bad Moms. And it's a non-mover. It yeah, did not this has got well. some legs. It, it, really it, has. it has. And you know what? It is funny. I think I've said this to you on more than one occasion. It is a funny yeah. film. It's just 
there's not much kind of a point to it. In that way that Bridget Jones doesn't really exploit, mm. you know, mine much sort of exploitative comedy yeah. out of. It just seems like a safe a film age. to go see if, like, the film you were there to go see has either sold out or has been cancelled or... So when, of, when Sausage Party this. sold out, everyone's yeah, going to see Bad Moms. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine that. Although, you know what, that's doing it a, a disservice it doesn't quite warrant. Um, I liked it. I thought there were moments, some really genuinely funny moments in Bad Moms. It just, it wasn't quite as challenging a film as I wanted mm. it to be. And I'm, I don't mean challenging as in I wanted to struggle to comprehend it. I wanted it to challenge. I wanted it to upset the natural order. I wanted it to basically just just go and, you know, expose the nerve behind yeah, that's societal... like asking Bridget Jones to go, like, full Brockovich. It's not going to happen. Wouldn't that be nice? Number three. Don't Breathe. Which I loved. This is the film. I've been thinking about this all week. I loved Don't Breathe. It's a film I really want to go and see again. It is chilling. It mm. is suspenseful. It is nail-biting, edge-of-your-seat, armrest-gripping fun. Do you think it's going to have the same effect when you see it the second time? Because you'll you'll know where the scares are going to be, where the jump scares are going to be. That's very true, actually. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, I tend to find... It's like, I really like the first Woman in Black, for instance, because I thought that had genuine atmosphere and it worked. And it was one of those films, when I watched it at home, didn't have the same effect. I, I disagree. I know you but don't like the film. That's your, that's your opinion. I, I love the story and I love the play. Mm. Play was absolutely. I know the film's very divisive. But, yeah. But uh, no, this is the same kind. Of, I think it's going to be the same kind of thing. Time will tell if it has rewatchability. And I do want to go and see it again. When I get an evening free, I will actually go and catch it again. Mm. But uh, I do want to see it. Yeah, so we'll we'll see. We'll compare. I'll see it a second time. You see it a first time. We'll compare. We'll notes. compare notes. Number two. Ben. Ugh. Ben. Ugh. Ugh. Ben. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> And no, this not particularly any. Do you know? What? I think I said this before, and I, I stick by this. It's not that it's bad; it's that it's not any good, mm. and it's quite badly cast, and it's quite badly written. I feel so uh, bad for Toby Kebbell because I, I, I like him a great deal. <laughs> why can't he find a role that works? Like he needs to fire his agent. Man. Since Sorcerer's Apprentice, he's just been screwed. He really has. Like, he was so good in Sources Apprentice. Yeah. He's another he's, droid. He's so great in uh, in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. You don't know it's him. You don't know it's him, exactly. But he is good in it. He's great you in can, it. You know, when you when you watch that back now, you can tell it's his voice, though. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, uh, no, I just... It's just... The problem is, the thing that defined Ben-Hur was the chariot race. The thing that defined this film is an overuse of CGI. Yeah. And... Which might be the reason why they wanted to make it in the first place, wants to remake it. Well, that's it. Because of, is... of the technology. And... Well, that's it. It has, yeah. it has none of the grip, none of the bite, none of the lantern-jawed charm that made William Wyler's Charlton Heston version. <laughs> none of the gun-toting madman. <laughs> <laughs> gun-toting madman. Well, exactly. Yeah. None of that gun-toting madman who didn't realise he was in a gay love story. None of that. Number one. Sausage party. Sausage party. I keep wanting to, like, spray paint one of those Johnny Depp perfume outfits. Oh, I, someone's done that. Sauvage party. Yeah. yeah. Quite, just, just, like, like just the, put an uh, S on it. Yeah. But oh, someone has done that, haven't they? Yeah, I've a seen it. Yeah, of yeah. Sausage, yeah. Um, so sausage party, which is loud and crass and crude and offensive, and and but it's an equal opportunity offender, and you've got to admire that about it. It's it, like it's got a sense of heart to it as well. Weirdly, it, you wouldn't you wouldn't think it. It really does. Yeah. But um, the thing I really liked about, it, and you and I both loved this gag. There was there's there is a sort of a cameo by a popular iconic rock singer in it and and it's 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 played with the food yeah. gag and it is absolutely priceless and it's the sort of gag that only this film could do yeah much like its whole israel palestine so, element that, and that gag in particular it seems like a really obvious joke but you hear the song 
starting and I didn't even think it was going to happen when no, I heard the song. Good. And then I saw it and I was like, this is genius. Seth Rogen seems to have a thing about uh, popular music in his films, like when he involved the Backstreet Boys At in the This end is of, the end. This is the end yeah. Yeah. This is the same kind of a thing and I wonder if it is the actual guy. I wonder if he actually is involved. I don't know. I don't, I'm he's, to to he's been on the ropes a bit recently. I don't know if you heard the... Um, no, I, I, I had not, but we so we don't want to spoil that one. So no, yeah, we that's why right, so I'm not going to go into it. <laughs> but uh, it's it's worth seeing anyway. And if you want a good time, you want a comedy that's really going to challenge your sensibilities, I would go and see this. But I wouldn't take your mum. No, I mean I'd take my mum. My mum would laugh her ass off. But <laughs> no, I'd take my mum to see Bridget Jones as a baby. In fact, no one. I'd I'd go to the cinema with my mum. We'd go see separate films. <laughs> she would go see Bridget Jones as a baby. I think if I took my mum to the cinema right now, it would probably be to see Bad Moms. She'd love that. My mum would hate that. My mum would think yeah. it's hilarious. My mum doesn't like it when I say the f word. Really? Yeah. Oh, I'm 27. Oh, I've not met your mother. That's that's why. Because <laughs> I'm notoriously foul-mouthed in reality. <laughs> <laughs> so final review of the week, then. Let's yes. talk about the Beatles eight days a week. Ron Howard has... Well, this is the thing. Because Scorsese has the Stones, and Spike Lee had Michael Jackson. Yeah. And Howard's Mark got Scors- the Beatles. Mark Scorsese has got George Harrison as well, technically. Has he? Yeah. How's that work? Uh, he did a documentary called uh, George Harrison in a Material World. Ah, I did not really, know that. Really, really great film. I didn't know about the Spike Lee Michael Jackson one until it was lying on my oh, coffee I need, table. I need, I need though, to see that so well. good, so good. Oh man, whole new respect for uh, Off the Wall. Yes, after that one, my um, favorite uh, album. Is it? Well, favorite uh, album by him. Oh, okay, yeah. fair enough. <laughs> oh, mine's Thriller. Anyway, um, <laughs> right beside the point. So the Fab Four. But you, you know the story. They were the Beatles. They are the most iconic pop band of all time. What Ron Howard's documentary focuses mm. on is that fixed point between them becoming stars, at, effectively the phase one period, when they were the boy band, when they were the matching yeah. suit mop top, how they went Is from, it like the Ed Sullivan sort of... Kind yeah. of that. Yeah, it is basically <laughs> from when they hit big and yeah. Shea Stadium, and then it ends with the famous rooftop performance. It ends with them becoming phase two Beatles, when they all start to do their own things, mm. when we start getting Sergeant Pepper... Let it be. And let it be. We have a clip. We wrote On the Road. Mainly me and John. George developed as a writer later and became an unbelievable writer. But at the beginning, it was mainly me and John. So we would be in a hotel room with two twin beds and he'd have his acoustic guitar, I'd have mine, sit opposite each other. And because I was left-handed, he was right-handed. It was like, like looking in the mirror. And we'd just start something and ricochet off each other. He'd do a line. I'd do a line, and we'd just write it down. And when we were finished, we didn't have a manuscript, but we had a sheet of paper with the words, and we remembered the chords. Paul McCartney there talking about songwriting with John Lennon, which is always a contemptuous subject, really, when discussing the Beatles, <laughs> depending on who you're having the conversation yeah, with. Yeah, is it uh, Lennon and McCartney or McCartney and Lennon? Yeah, who knows? Yeah. Uh, it seems to be, according to the film, it seems to be Lennon and McCartney. Um, right, so here's the, here's the funny thing about this. I uh, went in with only my existing knowledge of the Beatles, only what I sort of, my, my cursory knowledge. I've never been a huge Beatles fan. I know you are. And I've never really had that much beyond the basic story. I don't really know that much about them. And this didn't really give me anything particularly new, but what it did give me was a new sense of them as people. It's the most humanizing portrait of the Beatles I've ever seen. And it's one of those portraits that could only have been conceived by someone who quite clearly knew and loved the subject. Mm. There is a wealth of archival material in here that must have been an absolute nightmare to get through clearance. And boy, do you oh, feel yeah. it for him. Because it is over- the amount of access in this documentary is overwhelming. 
The only downside to I mean, it was a fantastic time. It has naturally has the best score, best soundtrack you can hear <laughs> to a film this year. Um, the biggest problem I found with it was it's about an hour and 40 minutes. It does feel about 20 minutes too long. There is some padding in there. There's a prolonged look, for instance, at Larry Kane, uh, the, journal, the radio journalist, following them around for a while. Mm. And you do kind of wonder why it's there, because it seems to go on for about 10 minutes. And you're like, I don't get why you're there, other than that you're around for them to interview. It doesn't seem... That there's an awful lot he doesn't offer much insight. He doesn't particularly. No. Um, other than introducing us to the exact point at which the Beatles started smoking pot, it do- he doesn't really. That's an important time. Right? It did. It did change musical history. Got to yeah. give him that. Um, but yeah, it is it, the most relatable take on the Beatles you've ever seen. There's some great talking heads in there. Richard Curtis turns up. Whoopi Goldberg turns <laughs> up. Eddie Izzard turns up. <clears throat> there are some terrific guests on it, and. I think I did come away and think I have watched Labour of Love. I do feel like I have not so much a better understanding of, but a better appreciation of the Beatles. Mm. And, you know, Hats Off to Run Out, it's a terrific documentary. I mean, I know you love a musical documentary. I love a musical documentary. I think you're going to very much enjoy this. Yeah, I love I think, this a collection. I think, I think so. even if you weren't a Beatles fan. It's the kind of access, the kind That's of material in good. there that I think would interest you. Yeah. It's interesting even if you're not a Beatles fan. I find that about there's a film about Metallica called uh, Some Kind of Monster. Yes, I have the same. It's great. It. It's fantastic. Uh, Cassie is not a fan of Metallica by any stretch of imagination. She loves that film. Really? She, yeah, she thought it was absolutely great. So it, it sounds like a similar kind of thing. Like you can, oh yeah, I'd go you with can find that. things to appreciate it, even if you don't like the actual subject. Fair enough. So, um, comes to film of the week though. I'm a little yeah. bit stuck because it is. Give it to hunt for the hunt for the will of people with a little bit of Beatles. Just a little, <laughs> a little bit, of with a little bit of Beatles on the side. Yeah, a sprinkling of, of uh, Sergeant Pepper. Yeah, I think I think if you can do both, do. Yeah. I think uh, Hunt for the World People's Gamble more legs. I do. Um, mm. The Beatles one is quite clearly going to be. Well, it's, it's got a limited release, hasn't well, it? The Beatles thing. Let's yeah. let's be honest about that. That's this year's Christmas gift for Dad. That that's quite clearly what that is aimed or at. Your mum? If why why is it just for Dad that likes Beatles? Isn't always the Dad that likes the Beatles? Or is it the granddad now? Uh, well, my dad has got no discernible taste in music, hence why we don't really talk. My dad sings ABBA. <laughs> nice. <laughs> is, is he a dancing queen? In, in broken in broken <laughs> English, and he only knows the choruses. Anyway. <laughs> Welcome to my That's childhood, great. Mr. Allen. So, uh, next week we've got some interesting stuff. Uh, we've got uh, Daniel Radcliffe going neo-Nazi next week in oh. Imperium. Does that to look forward to? We've got Barden Barden, the latest movie release. We've got uh, The Girl with All the Gifts, which I mean, that looks very little about. Yeah. That's Jenna Arston, isn't it? It is, uh, and Glenn Close. That's the one. Yeah. I, I don't know why I thought it was Helen Mirren. But uh, yes, uh, Gemma Arton and Glenn Close. We've got Little Men. We've got The Lovers and the Despot, which I'm really looking forward to. Do you know about this? I don't know about this. This is the story of a filmmaker and actress whom Kim Jong-il was a fan of and abducted. Because that's what and you do when you're a fan of things. Because that's what you do. power and influence. Yeah, I mean, that was yeah. what Buffalo Bill's problem was all those years. Um, we've got Dare to be Wild. We've got De Palma, which I know you're looking forward to. Mm. And, of course, there's these six or seven guys, and they're, they're a bit good. Uh, magnificent, even. Yeah. <laughs> the Magnificent, the magnificent six or seven. <laughs> the Magnificent half a dozen plus magnificent one. Magnificent seven-ish. <laughs> yep, so we've got all those to come next week and more off-screen. Uh, this has been a Candy Store production for On Screen. I've been Van Cohen. I've been, as always, Case Allen. And we leave you this week with knowledge that Tom Hanks is not satisfied with being a captain once or twice. He's going to be a captain again. But next time, it's World War II. We'll be back next week. Just show me the way to get out of here, and I'll be on my way. You've been listening to Offscreen. 
For more news and reviews, visit onscreenfilm.com. Podcast extras, Mr. Allen. So where do we begin this week? There's, there's three there's reviews, there's, there's some news. Let's have a little bit of news. Okay, so let's talk about The Flash. News. Let's talk yes. about The Flash, because you and I are both fans of, of the TV version of The Flash. And obviously there is a movie coming, and it's... Is it Rick Fumiyawa? Let's I've been saying Fumiyawa, yeah. Fumiyawa, who directed Dope. Yeah, and he's cast, I quite like Dope. Well, he's cast the girl from Dope, uh, Kiersey Clemens, as the love interest in The Flash. Hmm. And Ezra Miller, obviously, is The Flash. Ray Fish is going to be in it as Cyborg, because he was briefly teased in Batman Superman. And yeah. now they've cast Henry Allen, who's the, the father of uh, you know The Flash himself. Mm. And he's now going to be played by Billy Crudup. Yeah, I can see that. I see something of a resemblance, weirdly, between him and Flash's dad on TV. <laughs> John Wesley Ship. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. Okay, first of all, his name is not John Wesley Ship. It is Dawson's dad. His name will forever be Dawson's, <laughs> be Dawson's dad. dad. <laughs> my, my, my question for you is, uh, Go on. is he going to flash his big blue... Well, I think, I think we've, we've had the Manhattan. one experience of that. That's how, that was the thing that always annoyed me, actually, when Watchmen was out. Because it was only, what, about six months after The Dark Knight? And... Uh, there was, was it really about soon after? Uh, Dark Knight was July, uh, Watchmen was March. Wow. And there was a lot of snobbery, a lot of sort of dismissiveness when Watchmen opened. And I remember being in the men's room after the screening mm. and uh, hearing two teenage idiots talking about it. And it was quite obvious they didn't actually know what the film was. And uh, oh, it was like ridiculous, it was crap that. It was like three hours with a giant blue <laughs> and like, Yeah, there was, a, there was some plot in there as well, boys, but yeah. uh, never mind, eh? I like it, but it's always going to be the film of a giant blue <laughs> Fair enough, fair enough. If, if that's how you got to see it. I mean, I personally think think of the Smurfs franchise as that, but... Uh, they're not giant blue are they? They're, they're, they're little blue Little blue He's little blue and one of them's got the voice of John Oliver. But anyway... <laughs> so, oh, uh, Dax Shepard. He's, he's taking on a, a somewhat intriguing new project. He is yeah. going to co-direct and co-write an animated Scooby-Doo movie. Yeah, I for, heard about For this. Warner Brothers, because evidently they really like Chips. Ah. So. so Chips is based at Warner's. He's directing, starring in that with Michael Peña. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and he's now going to be... Scooby-Doo. Scooby-Doo. Uh, animated Scooby-Doo. Wrinkle in Time, meanwhile. This one, I, I know you're looking forward to this. you got to be. Yeah, yeah. Well, they have cast... We know they cast Oprah Winfrey as one of the, the, the three... What are they called now? The, uh, the Missuses. Yeah. The Mrs. W's. The Mrs. W's. They've cast it. someone else as well with like, right. to be so alongside as well as the, Oprah, the Oprah was the first. They've now got Reese Witherspoon Reese and Witherspoon. Mindy Kaling as yeah, the other cool. two Mrs. W's. Yeah, I can see that. Um, yeah, that's going to be an interesting one. I love that Oprah's doing more acting work as she gets older. That's cool. Well, because she's kind of retired from TV now, isn't she? Essentially, yeah. And I uh, mean, she, she does need to work because she's not got anything bringing in, bringing, <laughs> a, bringing in the dollar-dollar <laughs> no. bill. Got to pay that mortgage, man. That's it, yeah. <laughs> Gotta pay. I don't think she's saved anything. Like... <laughs> I don't think, no. <laughs> this is the thing, I, the thing I quite like about Oprah in a strange way. Oprah is... Um, Pretty pretty much the the greatest advo- well certainly the greatest female advocate of black culture in the in the modern media, as in there does not seem to be an up and coming black filmmaker that Oprah does not want to champion and support. Yeah, and you look at for instance and Lee, this, Lee Daniels. Yeah, this yeah. is Ava Devaney as well because she did Selma with her. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, yeah, so it makes sense in one way because she had a very small role in Selma, didn't she? 
She did, yeah, but it was quite a memorable, powerful part. I it was remember the lady who tried to cast the first vote, wasn't yes. she? Yes, and she gets like taken down and yeah. she's been like held up against her will. And stuff. See, I love Selma. I really I want really to watch that movie it. again. Yeah, it was, and yeah. yet at the same time, I'm kind of terrified of watching it because it was quite a harrowing film. It is, yeah, but, but I mean, unfortunately, when you think about it now, you think about how it wasn't like thought about during that year's Oscar season. And, Very true, because um, yeah. it, it, it got kind of snubbed, didn't it? It, well, yeah, it got, I mean, it it got, got a nomination it, it for got Best Picture. Oscar. And it, it, got, got, it got that Oscar. Well, that's, that's the thing. It got, the song. it got the best song. And when we did that performance, <laughs> like if that, if that song had lost, there would have been riots. I, I think so. Oh, I think man. so. Although, I'll be really honest, though, I didn't remember the song until the Oscar performance. It's like, actually, oh, that's glory. a really it's good a song. That was a good song. Why don't I remember nice that? Nice one, John Legend. <laughs> yeah. I'm Common. Good, Way good to go. What is Common's name? Is it Jeff Common? Je- Jeffrey Common. <laughs> I, don't, I have no idea. Calvin Oman. Maybe. I hope that it is just something really common. So that's like John. Like he was. He's called John Smith. His name's John Smith. That's a bit common. That's it. That's, that's my rap that's name my, right there. Cool guy rapper name. So let's talk about the clan real quick, uh, which is uh, latest picture from uh, Pablo Trapero. and this is the this is the true story of an Argentinian family, mm. the Puccios, and this comes Puccio. about this comes about after the uh, after the the Falklands War. Um, you've got uh, Argent, Argent, Argentina is uh, sort of still under a dictatorship. We're at the sort of birth of democracy, and you have a former military uh, a former military officer who basically finds himself without employment, who finds mm. himself looking to keep up his family's lifestyle. So he gets into the kidnapping game, as you do. And over the years, he and his family abduct and ransom people in order to basically keep their lifestyle going. And try. And, they're a very middle-class family. They want to be more. They have a deli, for instance, and they ascend to running a sportswear shop early on. Things like that. They basically want to ascend the social ladder. As the as one of the well, one of the the patriarch's sons grows older, however, he finds himself increasingly at odds with this family lifestyle and basically wants to get out on his own. Wants no part of it. Wants to basically concentrate on being married, starting a family, and of course, as these things are wont to do, it all very swiftly goes to hell. Um, there is a performance at the centre of this, Guillermo Franchella, um, who is um, Archimedes, the the the, the father figure, the, the father of the family. And it is an absolutely riveting performance. This man is terrifying. He looks like a a very aged South American Brent Spiner in a very strange way. <laughs> now imagine how ter- imagine how terrifying that could be. The thing that you're picturing in your head, <laughs> and you kind of have a, a a benchmark of of where to begin mm. with this performance. Really great. Really think good about data like in Halloween. Yeah, that's but that's the thing because his performance is built on the idea that this is a man doing true evil things for absolutely noble reasons albeit with the, you know it's all it's, a, it's, it's a, you know it's, he wants to be a provider but really can only rely on his darker talent it does work and he genuinely sells it uh, Trapero meanwhile really shoots the hell out it's a very good looking film it has the feel of I would say a very late 80s Hollywood drama, although it is very distinctly Argentinian. It's not a story that you could you could make to take mm. place anywhere else. It is gripping, it is intense, and you won't really be able to look away. It has also, though, got this wonderful sort of period-specific soundtrack. It does take place through the late 70s and early 80s, and the music in it is, is infectious in a way that reminds you of the first time you saw Goodfellas. 
No matter how, how integral the soundtrack was to Goodfellas and how Scorsese really, really yeah. rolled with it, mm. this has that feeling to it. It also has one of the most visceral suicide attempts you have ever seen depicted on film. And I really want to know how they did it, because it all seems to take place in one shot, and I was kind of blown away by it. Um, definitely check it out. I think this is a Curzon release. Uh, for the next week, so I would I would check. It that definitely out. sounds like a Curzon film. Well, it's it's its official title is El Clan, so not the Clan. It's El El Clan El Clan <laughs> El Clan. Which just think, okay, that really didn't require much of a translation. Why not have just <laughs> no. released that as El Clan? I think we'd have all gotten the gist on that one. <laughs> but uh, no, I liked it very much. I thought it was really good, really gripping. Um, the son, incidentally, from it, what's his name? Um, Peter Lanzani. Just he's like a young Daniel Brühl. He's like a 20-year-old Daniel Brühl. I'm telling you now, if you ever need to cast Daniel Brühl's younger brother in something... I feel like Daniel Brühl could play a young Daniel Brühl. He seems to never age. <laughs> well, he is age non-specific, isn't yeah. he? How old, how old? I bet you any money, if you look into it, he's about 45. I'm going to say... I'm going to say 34. 34? And I'm going to look on IMDb right now. Right, you look it up and we see which one of us is right. <laughs> what are you saying, 45? I was like 45 as a ballpark figure. <laughs> oh my goodness. He's so ageless that he's one of those you find out he's 45 and you're like, fair enough. Makes sense. 38. No way! So, kind of, let's, kind of between. let's call that a draw. Let's call that yeah. a draw. Yeah, you got Joe Manganiello. Well, you don't need another point. You, you call that one a draw. Yeah. Right, uh, I've got some news about some remakes. Go on, give me some remakes. Okay, so I know that you like a film, but I've never seen it. I feel like I'm going to absolutely love it when I do get around to watching it finally. I know what this uh, is It's called well. Alien Nation. I'm a very big fan of Alien Nation, yeah. yes. And I'm a very big fan of a uh, filmmaker called uh, Jeff Nichols. Yes. And Jeff Nichols is going to be remaking Alien He Nation. is. Uh, do you know the plot of Alien Nation? I don't really know that much about it. Right. I only, until recently, when I looked at the picture, I was like, is that Mandy Patinkin? It is Mandy Patinkin. Mandy Patinkin. Right, let me let me just set this up for you. Okay, so this is a, a 1988 film that was originally developed as a project for uh, James Cameron. Mm-hmm. And as a result, he didn't direct it in the end, um, but Galen Hurd is still a producer on it. It stars James Caan as a, as a hard-boiled LAPD detective in an, in an L.A. which has recently been visited by... They've had an alien like city size alien ship basically crash on the shore of off just off LA mm. and aboard are this entire race of slaves uh, their overseers have all been killed the slaves survive and because i think i think that's like a quarter million of them and they are inducted as as basically as immigrants right. as asylum seekers into los angeles and they become the new subordinate class they become the new minority hmm. and the whole concept is the idea of what would happen if a new minority appeared tomorrow and mandy patinkin plays the very very first um uh, they're called newcomers the first newcomer detective and because they're all given names at immigration, his name is Sam Francisco. <laughs> yeah, yeah, wonderful. When they, uh, when the movie, uh, after the movie had opened, they made a yeah. one-season-long TV series out of it, and uh, that role got played by Eric Pierpoint. They changed the name in the TV series to George Francisco. George Francisco. Yes. So that all- sounds like that could that could have worked as a show. It, it, oh no, it did work as a show. Like a it went on for a year. It was really good, and then when it after it was cancelled, they still made five TV movies to finish off the mythology. And do you know what? It was terrific. So I still good. own and watch the series to this day. Wow! It is a great show. But James Caan, terrific in it. Mandy Patinkin, brilliant in it. Yeah. So do you think the remake is a good idea? Because I given the subject, I didn't know that much about it. 
So, what the plot I've just given you? Yeah, Jeff that, Nichols that, doing that. that? Would hook me in. That's, that's going to be amazing. That'd be great. The guy who made the TV series always said that the thing that drew him to it was not the plot. He wasn't interested in the plot. Mm. What what interested him was a moment in the film in which Mandy Patinkin, as an alien, leaves the white picket fence suburban house and leaves his family behind for the day to go and be a cop. Mm. And he said that was an interesting that's idea. Interesting. I thought actually yes. And that's what the series always always did so well with it. Did the domestic stuff so brilliantly, and I'm intrigued to see what uh, Jeff Nichols. What I think Jeff Nichols will basically merge the two. He will merge the sensibility of of the series with with I think the scale of the film, which really was just a hard boiled detective drama. It was great, hmm. and Terence Stamp was the villain. Oh, that's always good news. You want to watch the original film now, don't you? I totally want to watch the original You should. Film. I you will. Should. I've, it's been on my list for the longest time. If I told you that Brian Thompson played one of the newcomers... You've already got my money. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I've totally. It's going, to be, it's going to be awesome. Cool. It really is. Uh, the second remake... Go on. Um, and I've never seen this either, because frankly, it's always just looked rubbish to me. Yeah. Uh, do- uh, the Toxic Avenger... Remake. Mm. This has been on the stove for a while. Who's doing this one? I heard this something about this the other day. Uh, Conrad Vernon, who did uh, Sausage Pie. Yes, he's She's, a co-director, uh, yeah. isn't he? Yeah. He's a co-director. That's uh, currently uh, sitting number one at the box office. Um, but he's he's been based primarily in animated films. I think this might be his first uh, attempt at doing a live action. No, I don't particularly remember the Toxic Avenger. Was that the one with the high school teenager who like, fell in toxic waste and then comes out and he's basically it, it swamp like thing it, kind yeah. of a thing? It looks like it. It was a trauma movie, though. So. Yeah. Mm. A bit of, well, uh, that means they're going to wheel out Lloyd Kaufman. <laughs> they're going to wheel out Lloyd Kaufman Maybe. again. Well, a few uh, a few years ago, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger was in talks with all. I, I remember this because uh, Steve Pink, who did the Hot Tub Time, yes, I remember that. Did High Fidelity? He was going to be the the dude dude in charge. But uh, yeah. can I give you a bit of news? It's not strictly film related, but I know it's going to excite you. Go on. Uh, you know Ben Barnes? I know this news. You know the yes. news? He's been cast in the Punisher series on Netflix? Yeah, as a villain. Ah, apparently as uh, Howard Saint's son. Yeah. The character that was invented for the movie. For the movie, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that. yeah I so. can see that, though. He could be like like a snotty gangster kid. Yeah, it could yeah. work. As long as it's better than that, the one they invented for the killing joke movie. Then. Oh, let's just... We've we've spoken about that. We, we don't need to talk <sighs> about just, it anymore. Yeah, let's move on. Um, I've, got some, I've got loads of news still to come. I want to talk about um, uh, The Brother real quick, then. Yes. Uh, which is this film for... Do you know what? There's not much to say on this one. Uh, this is a film by Ryan Bond. Uh, it's a sort of... It's a, it's a, a co-British, co-Canadian uh, project set in England, stars Anthony Head as the patriarch of a crime family, <laughs> real sub-Soderbergh mafia-type mm. element. Sort of, it, wants, it really wants to be a Soderbergh movie. It really wants to be this hard-boiled, under-the-nail, you know thought-provoking criminal drama. Problem is, it's not in its pursuit of attempting to be a Soderbergh movie. It's really just boring. I'll be really honest, I sat through all of this, remembered basically nothing the following day, except for the fact that I'd spent a good portion of that time staring at Belinda Stewart Wilson, which I'm never going to call a waste of time, ever. And, uh, yeah, I'll be honest, now I'm trying to formulate thoughts on this film. Other than the fact that I hated every minute of it, I'm just picturing Belinda Stuart Wilson in my head. And I know you came on my house that day after I watched the screener. Yeah. So, uh, y- yeah, because yeah. we had a discussion about... Will's, Will's mum. Yeah, Will's mum. We had a discussion about Will's mum slash Belinda Stuart Wilson and uh, and how I obviously have a type. But uh, <clears throat> So we'll leave that one there. I tell you what we do want to talk about. 
Mm. James Franco. <laughs> the gift that keeps on giving is James Franco. So he, he's got this project coming up, and I'm fascinated by this. Right. What is it? He has teamed up with a financier named Demian, Damien Gregory. Demian Gregory? Demian. Demian. Like Demian Bashir. Right. He's nice. teamed up. Now, Demian Gregory is co-financing these films for James Franco. They're going to make four of these. They're going to be budgeted between 15 and $20 million. They're going to be cheap and cheerful little projects. Now, that actually is kind of what James Franco does, so that makes sense, right? Mm. What really caught my attention was the very first one of these that he's doing. Because it's a book I've actually read, and it's uh, it's it's a kind of a, a disturbing book in one sense. It's a book called The Game, and it's written by Neil Strauss. Are you familiar with this book? Not particularly. Okay, I just know of the game as a, the David Fincher film, <laughs> and a very very different game. The Game is the book that it basically popularised the term negging. Familiar mm. with that? Yeah. Right. Okay. So for anyone who isn't, please elaborate. For anyone who isn't. You know, it's going to sound better coming out of your mouth, so you do it. Okay, negging is, uh, in in popular parlance, is the act of effectively persuading a woman to go home with you by demolishing her self-confidence through negative provocation, but at the same time providing a supportive base in and of solely yourself. That's the nice way of saying it. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a game for scumbags, really. Yeah. Yeah. Works, though. Anyway... (laughs) Look, I was young once, all I'm saying. Um, so, The Game is a book written by Neil Strauss. It was about his time on the pickup scene, in which he would basically employ... So- it, you know, there's no way... To- it was the pickup version of psychological warfare. He and his friends would populate cocktail bars and never go home alone. That was the idea. Uh, pretty much the entire Barney Stinson character from How I Met Your Mother is based it's on based, this yeah. this whole thing. And uh, it's, it's now been optioned by James Franco. It is going to be adapted into a film James Franco is going to play his uh, his his loyal best friend his wingman hmm. as it were I can't remember his name now what's his name it's a one word name like miracle or something like that hmm. oh man it's gonna million no it'll come to me it'll come to me but yeah James Franco as the sleazy best friend how's that not gonna work I mean, this is going to be Franco. That's basically how he's living his life, anyway. One of the things they actually popularised was peacocking. Are you familiar with that one? I am familiar with that one as well. That is, that is the term of when a gentleman is like really taking care of himself and puts on like the latest watch and has the latest. One of the idea and... is to have one single item of clothing that draws attention, draws the eye. Oh, just to... one. I thought it was just oh, yeah. several things. And actually, they did bring it up on Boston Legal once. Shatner was into it. Yeah. But uh, go figure. Uh, <laughs> Danny Crane. Danny Crane. Danny Crane. Danny but, Crane. Uh, Danny Crane. Danny Crane. <laughs> it's my favourite scene of the entire show. Really? Oh, um, uh, it was uh, James Spader meeting uh, Constance Zimmer for the first time. That was oh, not Constance Zimmer. It was the one I always get confused with Constance Zimmer. Oh, never mind. Yeah, it'll it'll come to me. Our, our minds are just like. Colanders today. Just they are, they are. Aren't falling they? out. But yeah, so peacocking is also a thing from the game. That's coming. That movie's coming. It's gonna base. It's gonna be the new. I hope they drink beer in hell. Right. Which is a film nobody should ever watch because it does not do the book justice, <laughs> and that's really saying something. Uh, meanwhile, Lexi Alexander. We didn't talk about this. Mm. Who directed The Punisher Warzone? Punisher Warzone. Yeah. And did Full she circle. direct Green Street? Green Street with the Elijah Wood. 
Yeah, yeah, Green Street Hooligans or Green Street. Maybe. I'll have a look. I'll have a look. I think so. German director, known for basically doing quite violent action-y films, uh, she is going to direct... Yeah, she did Green Street. She did Green Street. Okay. She's going to direct a film called Crossfire, which is going to be the biopic of Chris Benoit. Do you know Chris Benoit at all? He is some kind of fighty man. He was a a WWE champion. Yes. Do you know why he deserves a biopic? Is Chris, ba- is Chris Benoit the one that killed his family? Yes. Yes. Chris Benoit, yeah. in the summer of 2007, murdered his wife, son, and then killed himself. And it was a, it, it was a, it came out of nowhere, this news. This was, wow, that was, yeah. whoa. Like, we were all knocked for six. And then within a matter of weeks, it was revealed that he suffered from CTE, which is the uh, concussion-induced trauma, which the movie Concussion actually deals with. Mm, yeah. But yeah, that was discovered in his autopsy. He was posthumously diagnosed with that condition. And yeah. And the weird, the, the, the worst part of, of all this is he was, a, he was a real figurehead in the sport. But no, the worst part of it all is, true to form, the WWE have now erased him from their history. As they tend to do. Hulk Hogan's now been erased from their history. Yeah, because of the comments he made. Was it last year when Hulk Hogan? I think it was last year. But the WWE have something of a tradition of simply erasing things from the timeline if they don't live up to the exacting standards of the wholesome image of the WWE, which is weird. That that is such a misty grey area, though. If that was Mm. a result of a condition that he attained through working for them. Exactly. This this is where it all sort of stems from, and it raises questions that really need asking, and I'm guessing Mr. McMahon, not eager to answer those questions. No, this won't be a WWE-financed film. <laughs> this, this is not coming out of WWE Studios, put it that way. I watched the 50th anniversary documentary of the WWE, and they really did gloss over him. Yeah. Like, they literally just hopped over the point in history in which Chris Benoit was... Well, they're champ. Mm. But, okay, final review of the week, then. Right. Yeah. I'm looking forward to this. Sour Grapes. Right. I think, did I discuss this with you in the week at all? We talked about it last week. It sounded really interesting. It's about... <laughs> it's about the wine crash, effectively. The, not the saying. wine crash, so to speak. I thought there was an actual... I thought it was a crash. It took place around the time of the economic... The, the worldwide economic recession. Right. This is the story of uh, a, a man who, if they ever made a Hollywood dramedy version of this, would be played by Ken Jeong. Right, he was, uh, Rudy Kurnewan Rudy is a young Chinese-Indonesian playboy type, kind of a nerd, but more money than common sense, who turned up one day in the, the early noughties on the California wine scene and started rocking up to auctions and paying ludicrous amounts for wine, which he would then basically throw massive tastings and he would sell on, and yeah. and he basically became... In a strange way, kind of like the Robert Downey Jr. of wine, if you can imagine such a thing. But but he was very mysterious and very very magnetic. But obviously, there was something more to him than anybody knew. We have a clip. Let's let's see if you can sort of suss it out from from this clip. The auction scene really started in the nineties. Economy was booming back then. <laughs> I started being aware of this kind of guinea geeky young guy that liked wine. We had this mysterious background. He was like the Gen X Great Gatsby. No one had ever spent that much money that fast. It was ruining the quiet little club that the old guys had. Can you please state your name for the record? 
Rudy Cornell one. Yeah, this is one of those films. It, this is like a stranger than fiction true story that you can... It, it is just mental. It is one of those films that, first of all, it has an ever-present sense of humour. There is a tone to it that can't be denied. Mm. And... What's really strange about it is that all the talking heads involved, even the victims, effectively, of what turn, what transpires to be a massive con, is um, they take it all kind of in their stride. They, um, they not not in their stride, they, they think of him still quite fondly. They have quite upbeat sort of demeanours about him. And this is the story of a, of a massive deception. A deception on, you know, the entire wine world. But it's the fact that he's such an affable little character. You can't help but get into it. There's... There, there is an obvious Hollywood movie to be made in this. You, the, you can you can see it playing out in front of you. You can see the character that clearly should be played by Oliver Platt and and Ken Jeong, <laughs> and you can just see these movies, this movie formulating as it goes, and you will laugh and you will get into it. And it it, it is there is a sense of sort of tragedy to it because there are people who considered him a genuinely close friend, who considered him like family, and who are still kind of unwilling to treat him as a criminal. And it's it's strangely touching in that way. But what I really like is that it's been put together with this sense of, all right, we know high-end wine is a ridiculous thing. We know that the kind of person willing to shell out this much money, which constantly gets referred to, by the way, as f*** you money, which, I mean, we actually get a full graphic mm. explanation of, you know, you get three million and you think, I'm just going to blow one mil. You know what? That's my f*** you money. That is f*** you money. Yeah. yeah. And... They know that that's ridiculous, and they run with it, and it sort it basically delivers a film that you are equally amused but intrigued by, and I kind of love that about it. I I was genuinely blown away by this this innocuous little documentary that really really gripped me. It was funny and it was smart and it was kind of edgy. And I really, really, I, I need to see the Steven Soderbergh version of this movie. Wait for him to do Logan Lucky, see if that's a success, and if he decides to, like, retire from filmmaking again, yeah. then he might do it. That's it. I, I yeah. think that there is genuinely a, do you know what, actually, no, no, because you know, you've got to sex them up a bit when you make them into you know, movie characters. John Cho. John, oh, yeah. John Cho as this character. Could John Cho lead a film, though? I would like him to. No, no. But Other if, than if, how if you are. knew the character, believe yeah. me. This it wouldn't matter who played him. Like it wouldn't matter if the, that, that person was a movie star. Yeah, it just needs to be someone who could just play that charisma. So Danny Dyer, absolutely. <laughs> no, 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 not Danny Dyer. Because no. there's there's a race bending element there that we just don't want to get into. You don't want to go for Mickey Rooney. <laughs> you don't want to go for Mickey Rooney now. No one needs that. But no, I was, I'm fascinated by this story. I I need to look into this more. I I need to read up on this story mm. because it is fascinating. <laughs> Uh, but the problem with it, I think, in one sense, is that is, and the problem is a reality-based problem, which is the victims are all, you know, affluent, excessively wealthy, upper-class white guys, yeah. and the problem is they don't really make for the most sympathetic of victims. No. Although the film kind of curtails around that with its sort of tongue-in-cheek sensibility, but uh, yeah. Uh, one of the victims, incidentally, is the producer of Rush Hour. So you know, like, like I say, it's hard to find sympathy, no. isn't it? It kind of is. So let's talk about Shailene Woodley then. She of Shailene and her Woodleys. She of the Woodleys, yes. And I might watch White Bird. <laughs> she of the Woodleys. She of the Woodleys. I might watch White Bird and a Blizzard again so that I can enjoy those Woodleys one more time. Mm. Uh, right. She has finally spoken out about the whole Divergent thing. It got a TV movie. It got a TV series. We talked about this on Saturday night, didn't we? I realised. Yes. That's um, what we did. 
Friday night, sorry. Um, she's now, she said she's not going to be part of it. No. In fact, so her, how are they going to finish off the franchise? I don't without... know. She I made... can't remember what her character was called. She was uh, Tris. 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 Yeah. She made quite a snotty comment about it, actually, as well. Really? She says, you know, I know you want to make a TV series and everything, but, you know, I didn't sign up for that. And you're like, okay, you know what? You absolutely have a point. But at the same time, Shy, it ain't like the offers are, you know, stacking When up she was there. saying you, she meant Lionsgate. The Lionsgate. The company, is it Lionsgate? Right? I think it's Lionsgate. It's Lionsgate. Yeah. It's, Lionsgate. Yeah. it's a team franchise because it's Lionsgate. Lionsgate. Summit. No, it's Summit. Oh, Summit are a Lionsgate yeah. company. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it's not like the offers are stacking up. Does she have any other projects on besides Snowden? I was going to say, that's the next one that I could think of. And that ain't getting great reviews. I mean... Yeah, it's just kind of just passing, isn't although it? Although really? I am, I, I do find myself increasingly baffled by Oliver Stone in recent... What was the last Oliver Stone movie? It was Savages. Savages, and before that... Was it that, really Savages? I think it was oh. Savages. And before that was W. And my thing no, was... No, I think in between that was <laughs> Wall Street 2... Colon, oh, Money God, Never Sleeps. Yeah, yeah, sorry. If it was ever filmed, but didn't need a subtitle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there really is. Yeah. But no, he's lost his edge in recent years, hasn't he? Old Ollie Stone. Yeah, he really has, but he's just... I think he just enjoys working. Did you see his documentary series? Oliver Stone's Untold History of the United States? No. Uh, I, I, was that good? Oh, it was entertaining. Yeah. Uh, but it was, you know, the ramblings of... <laughs> <laughs> the Vietnam vet. <laughs> yeah, the ramblings of a Vietnam vet. Quite clearly. Who, you know, if they ever make a movie of him, it needs to be played by Powers Booth. But uh, <laughs> it does. Imagine that. Yeah, Powers Booth is Oliver great. Stone. I could totally see that casting. But uh, yeah, so no uh, no Shailene for uh, the rest of Divergent. She will be in Snowden. Don't know if she's going to do anything else after that, I'm which is a, look. a shame. But uh, Although you do wonder, between this and Spider-Man, why does the film industry have it in for Shailene Woodley? I can't figure that out. She was really good in The Descendants. Did you like her in that? I thought she was really good in The Fault in Our Stars. I thought she was great in that as well. Yeah, I liked her in that. Yeah. yeah. How, we, how am I spelling? Oh, I've got her. I found her. You found her? Found did you just type The Woodleys into IMDb? No, I did not. <laughs> I typed in the start of her name, and then I was like, where do I go from here? <laughs> I can never decide if it's Shailene or Shailene, but uh, there are differing answers on that. Um, it doesn't say anything past uh, the Divergent series Ascendance, but that's going to be wiped off for IMDb very shortly, I would imagine. Uh, I, well, no, because it's still getting made. But oh, oh, you mean her future projects? Yes, on her future projects. There's also a TV series called The uh, Big Little Lies. Nope, and no I don't really know anything about this, but I might have a look because this looks based on the cast. Oh wow, this has got um. There you uh, go. Keep me in suspense, man. Uh, Alexander Skarsgård. Okay. Uh, Laura Dern. All right, daughter of Bruce, as he, she should. Also, her mum in the Fault in Our Stars. Yeah, true. Yeah. Uh, Adam Scott. Oh, oh, say no more. We know why Case is in now. It's all <laughs> right. It's, it's him. It's all right. Never mind, Case. It, it all fun. comes together at that moment. I didn't tell you. Um, I got my new uh, student card the other day. Okay. And um, as anybody that has been to college or university knows, when you have a student photo take of your student card, it just is the worst picture ever. On mine, I, I was going through my Miami Vice phase. We, we really, mine, yeah. We were wearing sleeves that were all no, bunched no, up. No, no, and... the Colin Farrell Miami Vice. Stage. Oh, terrible! Not good. I'll show you a picture sometime. Well, on on mine, I look like Joaquin Phoenix if Joaquin Phoenix played the Joker. <laughs> <laughs> For some reason, I've just got like bright red lips. Oh, so like you know lipstick. what we never played, by the way? Right. And, and we we had this queued up for the Beatles coverage. The greatest moment in Beatles history. The moment in which the Beatles 
dissect, you know, uh, bisected with the other greatest thing in pop culture history. Here we are, hang on. Hello, Homer. I'm George Harrison. <gasps> oh, my God. Oh, my God! Where did you get that brownie? Over there, there's a big pile of them. <laughs> oh, man. Wow, what a nice fella. Yes, when Homer met George. <laughs> well, what a nice fella. <laughs> Well, hang on, so uh, all three surviving Beatles were on Simpsons, weren't they? Yes, they were. Because Paul turned up in the vegetarian episode. With Linda. With Linda. <laughs> Where uh, Apu says that he was the fifth Beatle. <laughs> <laughs> sure you were, Apu, sure you were. Apu de Beaumarche. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we had you know, George Harrison actually turned up in the Beatles episode of The Simpsons. Yeah, when they go to the Grammys. <laughs> the B-Sharps. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then Ringo Starr... Yeah, Marge. Marge is being a painter. Wants to be an artist again, and she writes him letters, and uh, she never receives her mm. reply until right at the end when he's been uh, replying to all of his fan mail as he used to do. Oh man, did he actually used to? He used to, and is that actually a thing. Well, it's not anymore. Sadly, he was a bit of a hoo ha a couple of years ago where he posted a statement saying, "Look, I'm sorry. I've been doing it for years and years. I can't reply. I cannot physically reply to every single letter." And then everyone kind of turned on him again. Oh, poor Ringo. Yeah, I mean, it's bad enough he's Ringo. You know, he's got enough problems. He's literally the Ringo of the Beatles. <clears throat> yeah. Could you, could you imagine when someone says, "Oh, could you imagine being the Ringo of?" And accidentally saying it to Ringo Starr. Yeah, and he was like, yeah, I was. Yeah, it kind of was. I'm the origin Still of like that Still like a multi-billionaire. <laughs> I said to yeah. you earlier, the, 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 I'm pretty sure that the Talking Heads stuff with him in Eight Days a Week was filmed the same day as his appearance Pop in Star. Pop Star. It probably was. G- gay marriage is, is allowed now. What's he yeah. singing about? Does he throw up the, the, the peace sign? <laughs> no, he never does. Because that seems to be his thing. Although, you know what? He's got a leather shirt that he wears in Eight Days a Week, and I, I need that in my life. I really Why anybody need a leather shirt. I just I need it in my life, man. I, that, that's gonna be my retirement look. When when I retire, I'm 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 going aged think, rock star. I'm going aged rock be star. Off going back to the Colin Fowler and Miami Vice look, <laughs> rocking a leather shirt. Why oh, is so cool? The sleeves rolled up leather shirt. Never mind. There is nothing cool about it. Like literally, there's nothing cool because you'll be wearing leather. You'll be hot as balls. No, I love you had to pause it all balls. <laughs> I paused for effect. You paused for balls. <laughs> That's a bumper sticker. I <laughs> break for balls, but uh, honk for balls. <laughs> Enough balls. Enough balls. <laughs> right. <laughs> On which note, and continuing our Beatles mania for the week, here it is. Your moment of cage. Yes, she's here. Bring it to me now. Thank you, Phil. What's that? Why'd you get it sent here? Call her and approve. She thinks it's dumb to spend $600 on an LP. Carla's right. Why don't you just spend $13 on a CD, man? First of all, it's because I'm a Beatlemaniac. And second, these sound better. 